brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going. going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! Mountain right! Welcome to the show! Well, it's the winter meetings, and a new aspect of the winter meetings over the last couple years has been the draft lottery getting ironed out, and we just found out what the draft order is going to look like, and of course, once we find that out, we got to go get our guy, Pete Flaherty from Baseball America, the most helpful person in my world when it comes to pretty much knowing everything I need to know about every draft class, put me in the right direction. If you don't follow him on Twitter already, you should. But Pete, thank you so much for joining me and Jack here to talk about some of the best prospects in this draft class and you know where they might fall in this way too early breakdown. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I am, as always, so fired up to be on with you guys. And when you shot me a text last night, I was it made my night. So I'm excited. I'm excited to run through some of the class with you. You were having a pretty crappy night, huh? <laughs> no, I was having a great night too. I had a. Uh, I went to see the Priscilla movie with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Government name reveal later on. Uh, it was. It, we just finished up a nice sushi dinner, and then Arm texted me, and it was a a great end to the evening. That is awesome. Hey, how upset scale of one to 10 were you that deputy commissioner of the NBA, Mark Tatum, was not there announcing the MLB draft lottery? Oh, man, I need well, I needed Mark Tatum. And then I also needed the guy in like the, the 300 levels of Radio City Music Hall or wherever it was, like spoiling the picks. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you've seen that TikTok where he's like the Denver Nuggets select and the guy's like Emmanuel Moutier. <laughs> I needed that guy like up there too, like saying who got the pick. So um, that would have made for like, that would have been also perfect for the opera land experience, because I don't know if you guys have like heard about this place or been to this place. It is absolutely bananas. The architecture, the layout, it literally, excuse me, it feels like you're on like the Truman show. And so I, I, that's the one thing that's interesting about the MLB draft. And I think they're working towards making it more of a spectacle and more exciting. And, you know, I'm curious kind of before we jump into some of these top prospects who can go one, one and all that good stuff. And of course, going through the order, uh, you know, where you feel that the draft is at now, of course, it's never going to be the NBA. It's never going to be the NFL draft because of just the process of having to climb through the minor leagues and, and all that good stuff. But now we're seeing some of these guys, especially the college players that, 
I mean, the level of play in college has just never been better. And that allows for guys to climb kind of quickly. And we're seeing Wyatt Langford potentially ready to, to crack an opening day roster. Heck, we're seeing Jackson Holiday a year after real really being drafted in his first full season out of high school, potentially being able to crack an opening day roster. You're seeing the draft on ESPN. You're seeing the big board. And and yeah, I think the the promotion of it and the distribution of it a little bit different. And they're doing it in a really fun week with the All-Star Week and now this lottery and all that stuff. How do you feel the MLB draft is is kind of trending? You're not going to have shams leaking the picks before so someone can yell, you know, out from you know the middle of the stands. But it seems like there's a little bit more intrigue around the MLB draft, at least over the last couple of years. There definitely is. You mentioned it. You get it on ESPN. You throw in the combine. I think you throw in a more interested general public around prospects, the college game, all of that stuff that has to do with the draft. And I think it makes for a good product. Uh, I honestly am not sure of the the ratings it's garnered, but it seems just from where I sit, there is a lot more interest and intrigue with the draft from people who I would have never thought would be interested in that kind of stuff. But with that being said, with the July timing, I know it sounds like a ton of fun in a great week because you have the All-Star Week, the Futures Game, the Home Run Derby, all these fun events culminating with the draft. Um, I know from many a scout and many a front office personnel that they can't stand the July draft. It It is smack dab in the middle of the summer. It is right after Omaha. I think that there's some talk of maybe going back to a June draft, which I personally would enjoy, but it throws a wrench into everything with summer ball, um, just the various events going on. But I think looking at it from 10,000 feet, I think that it is a really good thing for the game. Like more eyes on your product is really never a bad thing and i think everyone loves drafts everyone loves prospect rankings everyone loves debating and discourse so i think as as with any draft um it's the perfect opportunity for people to enjoy all three I've, i've got a lot of prospect questions once we get into the individuals that could be going at the top of this draft but uh i'm just going to share with you kind of my working theory on the mlb draft as of late Yes, the ratings are going to get better when you change the landing spot on linear television, right? Like MLB Network is going to do worse ratings than ESPN. That's just how it's going to go. But you have both of those kind of streamlining the draft coverage. My theory on the draft is the best thing to happen to draft coverage is probably the NIL era of college baseball and maybe the lack of parity in college baseball that's coming. And, you know, you've got those top flight teams and LSU is you know, paying for a national championship, which makes a lot of sense. I don't blame them one bit for doing so, going to get Skeens, going to get Tommy White. Then you've got Chase Burns going from Tennessee to Wake Forest. Like, it seems like there are going to be 10 teams that are in contention going into every single season. And with those teams likely making their way to Omaha and with the draft falling right after Omaha, that seems like the best thing that baseball can do for its prospect product, no? that's a a fascinating point and an interesting one too. I think with though, especially with those guys that you mentioned, it's interesting, of course, as with anything nowadays, like there are like, and I know the football budget and the the baseball budget for NIL is probably extremely different. And the funding is a lot more um, is a lot less, but like there are second string, like wide receivers, like getting NIL deals for college football teams. And I, that's a crazy out of left field point to say, that while NIL was certainly involved in probably all of these guys and a lot of, and really anyone in the portals recruitment, because 
at this point where you can pay college players, how can it not be? I think that people underestimate the, I think just the fact that it was a recruiting win for the coach Walters, coach Schlossnagels, coach Jay Johnson's of the world. Um, they're ace recruiters and they have world-class programs. So I don't know if they necessarily bought a national title, but I will say with the the world of NIL, I think we're headed down a pretty dangerous slope and I will never not be a thousand percent for paying college players and paying athletes. That's not the issue. I just think that we're going to have, like you said, it's going to be probably 10 to 15 teams annually who are in a clear tier of their own on in college baseball. And for some, that's going to be really fun to watch for others. It's not going to be really fun to watch and they'll have kind of a, what's the point mentality. So I think that as with anything, especially with the transfer portal, it's a lot about regulating. I'm probably the last person to ask about how to do that. And I provided a relatively easy idea to an extremely complex, nuanced, maybe impossible problem to solve. But I think that the long-winded answer is, yeah, like people are going to be a lot more excited. Like LSU last year, the LSU Wake Forest game, I I, I forget the exact metrics. It, it was the most watched um maybe individual college world series game i know the college world series as a whole last year which did feature those guys even though he was on a his former team chase burns tommy white paul skeens dylan cruz brock wilkin wyatt langford tommy troy Braden, so many others they were all playing there it was the highest rated college world series in history so i think you're right that if the talent's there and the talent's playing people are going to watch I, I don't think I've ever been more locked in for a, a matchup. And we're actually going to circle back on this uh, as we kind of compare the classes is Rhett Louder, Paul Skeens. I was in London and I was up at like two, three in the morning trying to stay up to, to watch that matchup. And it was, it was really awesome. I think the one aspect of it too, to tie a bow on it is even if it's not, you know, NIL money, you mentioned the, the, the recruiting, the program, things like that. Wake Forest having, you know, the, the facilities that they have and, and the pitching lab that we've heard so much about and, you know, LSU's aspect as like the way that they can approach things and and what they can offer their players. I, I think those things also can really separate those programs and entice those guys to go there and, you know, further their development and, and continue their career. But what's interesting in this draft class is, you know, last year it felt like we had a lot of guys from, you know, those main schools, right? Those those key, key schools. This year, at least as we're going into it, you got players from all over. Of course, you got Nick Kurtz, who's you know coming out of Wake Forest and is part of that that core there. But the two names that we keep hearing the most about in, in the college ranks specifically, you get J.J. Weatherholt and you get Travis Bazana. Both of those guys, I mean, West Virginia, Oregon State, good programs, but you know not LSU, Wake Forest quite. You know, over the last few years, the way that the lottery fell. The Guardians, who had something like a 2% chance at getting the number one pick, end up getting it. And I think that adds a lot of intrigue, too, because Guardians fans now are like, holy crap, we got the number one pick. Now they're dialed into some of these players to see who that who they can get. So I ask you, who are some of the options that Guardians fans should be looking at uh, as a potential option for them at the number one pick? Yeah, I, I think that while on the surface is kind of the general fan more than likely is going to look at this class and not see someone like a Dylan Cruz, a Paul Skeens, a Max Clark or a Wyatt Langford. Those were kind of the four guys that throughout the whole cycle, not even the whole cycle, like it, the one one conversation expanded to three and four kind of at the 10th or 11th hour. So it was really Cruz and Skeens for the entirety of the cycle, which made it fun. It was very fun to watch them on the same team. 
and their incredible talents. But this year, it's going to be one of the more fascinating, fun to follow draft cycles, I think, in recent memory, because in looking up and down the board and I and I looked through it again last night a little bit and just thought about it after the lottery. There are so many guys right now who could hear their name called first overall for a variety of reasons. And they're supremely talented. Uh, it could be an organizational fit, but there are, are this is wide open. Whoever wants to play themselves into the one, one spot is going to have the ability to do so. I can think of 10 to 12 names right now who, if you told me you had a crystal ball and they're going one, one, I, I probably wouldn't blink and I'd probably hear you out. So it's going to be a really fascinating cycle, I think. Off the top of your head, can you roll through it as many of those names as you can? Because like based on you know my reading that I've done so far, it seems like Weatherhold, Bazana, Burns at Tennessee, um, Brody Brecht at Iowa, if he can find the strike zone consistently this year, probably. And then Vance Honeycutt at North Carolina. Is he still in that conversation? So you got however many names you named, you got them. So in no order, maybe a slight order, uh, who I can think of, it's Bazana, J.J. Weatherholt, Nick Kurtz, uh, Chase Burns, I think right now is kind of viewed as that 1A pitcher has maybe separated himself a little bit. As you mentioned with Brecht, it's probably the best stuff in college baseball, just a little bit risky given the lack of strike throwing, the the lack of third pitch, but he's a very nuanced profile that we'll get into. But we've got Kurtz, Bazana, Weatherholt, Caglione, Honeycutt, Tommy White, Chase Burns, Braden Montgomery, and then I've got two that one has started to become a household name. One will become a household name. I guarantee it by draft time. Uh, one is Seaver King, the Wingate transfer who has made serious noise last summer on the Cape and with USA and this fall. And then my dark horse to go one, and he's a personal favorite of mine in the class, is Northeastern center fielder Mike Sirota. And he's a legit five-tool guy. Um, I've personally got him above Honeycutt on my own little mental board. Um, he's going to have a 2020 season for Northeastern. I'm not worried at all sticking that label on him. Um, yeah. He's he's that good. And then a couple of others to keep an eye on. Charlie Condon, as you mentioned, um, Brody Brecht. And then in looking through this, if you want two high schoolers who I think right now are like the two most likely to play themselves into a into the first overall pick, it's Connor Griffin and PJ Morlando. Griffin is this 6'4 Adonis tool at the wazoo. Morlando is a bit of a more polished prospect, probably the best hit tool at the prep level, but there's some positional concerns, maybe ends up at first base, but uh, he is, there's no doubt he's going to hit. So as you can see, I probably mentioned like 12 to 13 names that there is a conceivable chance they go one, one, and then we can get super dark horsey and bring up the Charlie Condon's of the world, um, in, in other players. So nitty to, yeah, right. It's well, yeah, that, <laughs> that MLB network graphic was wild. The, the like six that they, I get what they have to do, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, there are there are so many guys who who could play themselves in that first overall pick. And then you also add, which may have been another one of your guys' questions, so I'm sorry, but you add in the fact that it's the Guardians picking first overall, and that adds That's a what really, I was about to say. <laughs> it adds a really fun and interesting wrinkle and honestly more confusion because they have such a fascinating, thorough draft style. They they're a little more database than other organizations. Um, they have an outstanding scouting department, so it's going to be really fun to spec. It's fun to speculate on what they're going to do 
whether they're in when they're picking in the 20s um it's going to be even more fun when they're picking first overall so i it's just going to be seven very chaotic months and yeah they're they're literally going to be 14 guys who 14 or more who are in that conversation damn and and when you look at the that was going to be my my follow-up was it doesn't help that you have a team that could very well underslot the number one pick in in a draft where i mean so much changes you mentioned and you know the way that we viewed the the top couple picks going into last year and then throughout the college season and then where we ended up at the end of the year where you could justify a few different players uh, you know and, and Wyatt Langford playing his way into that conversation as well but with the guardians it could be anybody because of the way that they could underslot that and then just cook and with their later picks with with the ability to use that massive bonus pool to to do different things but if you could boil it down to let's just say you know i wouldn't say it's necessarily the guys they're most likely to take but in terms of just the best players, if you had your Pete Flaherty big board, you know, who are the three at this moment? I know it's early, but the three best players for just Guardians fans, maybe to just tap into <clears throat> and be able to watch a little bit of um, as just maybe those those three top main guys uh, that you think could maybe lead the way. Uh, that is I now I already am not envying the Guardians at all because just whittling it down to three is difficult. And then obviously Going back to Jack's previous question, I may have said him, I may have not, but Jack Caglione from Florida is obviously yeah, in that conversation Jags too. For a minute. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, six, six built in a lab, like nine up to 9,900 from left side, 80 grade power, 70 bat speed. It's as real as it gets. He looks like a creative player, but um, my, my personal like top tier guys, Man, that is really difficult. I've got two. So one is Travis Bazana from Oregon State. Uh, the Beavers this year, I think, have national championship type ceiling. Um, he dominated last spring. And then he went to the Cape League, which Arm and Jack, you guys know how hard it is to hit there. Yeah. Um, and and especially kind of take the lead, the league by the horn, so to speak. And Bazana did exactly that. He had 375, 14 extra base hits. 14 stolen bases and 31 RBIs, one MVP of the league. Super, super explosive operation. He's got double plus bat speed. I really like the swing path. There's some loft to the pull side. It's a little bit of a unique setup. He kind of points the barrel back, um, but he makes it work. And the feel for the barrel is off the charts. He's His pitch recognition skills are as advanced as any hitter in the country. I think a, a close friend of all of ours, Jeff Ponce, had a great quote. It was that Bazana's eyes are God's track, man. And it's true when you watch him play, like he is so comfortable in the box. Um, he knows exactly what he's doing. He goes in there with a clear plan. Um, and, and he really takes over each at bat and he's got a 92, he had a 92% in zone contact rate, including 94% against fastballs. I'd put the pure hit tool at a, at a 70. And he can also drive the baseball with authority, especially the pull side. Um, he spent his 2022 summer at driveline kind of optimizing his launch angle. And I know some people listening to this are going to roll their eyes at me saying it, but when you, when you go to places like driveline and, and tread and all of these other facilities with kind of your own personal mission, um, and you know what you're doing, like Bazana does, uh, they're going to maximize that and, and, and kind of maximize that tool and, and make it benefit your game. So he did exactly that. Uh, it had him get the ball in the air more. 
I, I think his defensive actions are best suited for second, but he's got above average arm strength. He's a freaky athlete. Um, plus runner, but he also knows how to run. He picks his spots. He utilizes various leads, like a walking lead, a jump lead, um, the exceptional baseball sense. And then the makeup on and off the field is an 80 this summer. I remember I was watching him play and they were down like 10 to two in the eighth or something. And you guys know with summer ball and it gets really dark and really quiet. Pack it in, man. Yeah. You could, yeah. Like you could hear anything in the park. And all I hear from the opposing dugout um, or from the first base dugout is Bazana cheering on his hitters. And then in the field, when he's, when they're down 10, two and his pitcher struggling, just picking him up. And I think a little thing like that goes a long way in completing a player's profile. And it wasn't that I wash, like, I know scouts are here type of yeah, like yeah. fake makeup, pick like up, pick up the I'd, cups in the uh, dugout and, you know, do like, when everybody's looking kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't anything. I watched like that. Like there were, I don't think there was a scout left at that point. And so, I mean, that's just who he is as a player. And then we go on to guy number two, JJ Weatherholt. And like, when I talk through this guy, I'm going to con- like, I'll be convinced that he's the number one overall pick. And that's the way I think this whole cycle is going to go when talking through these guys, because you'll talk through one, talk through there and be like, is player B like, I think I'm a player B guy now, but uh, in 2023 at 449 with 24 doubles, 16 home runs, 36 stolen bases, more walks and strikeouts, the hit tool. I think he's the best pure hitter in the country. And that speaks volumes for as good as Bazana is, for as good as Kurtz is. Weatherholt, when just looking at pure hitters, he's the best in the country. I think that's clear to me. Um, but it, it, Bazana is right there with him, and it's like splitting hairs. But I'd give the pure hit tool edge to Weatherholt. Um, it, like I was talking to people last year who, if he was 2023 draft eligible, they would have taken him in the top 10 overall picks. Um wow. Like Bazana, the feel for the barrel is the eight is an eighty. Um, he has a he hammers the baseball to all fields. There's we're getting very nitpicky here, but there's a little bit more impact to the opposite field. Um, I caught a really good look at him on the Cape this summer. He hammered two baseballs in a left center field gap, um, and it's a really advanced approach. But the bat to ball skills are an eighty. He had a ninety percent overall contact rate, a ninety four percent in zone contact rate. It's big time bat speed. The barrel really accelerates through the hitting zone arm. I know you and I were talking about it last night, but it's um, it's remarkable. The, the adjustability in the swing is 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 unbelievable. He the again he's the knack for finding the barrel is second to none with Weatherholt, and he's a plus runner. Again, I think we're talking about a second baseman defensively, but he's going to play some shortstop allegedly for West Virginia this year. It's going to be really interesting how he looks because if he can establish himself as a shortstop, uh, that changes a lot of things, I'd say. Um, and then again, with like Bazana, it's double plus makeup. And in explaining this to you guys, again, you'll get it how rare this is, but he started his summer on the Cape. He went to USA and then he came back to the Cape and he played like on a on a gimpy hamstring, which is an injury that's fine now, but that's so rare nowadays. And he is such a baseball rat and fun to watch. Like similar to Bazana, his love for the game shows when you watch him play, which I think is so rare nowadays and so underrated. And like the 75-year-old in me loves that. Yeah. And yeah. I I think that they are 
it, it's this is me being the middleman, but you cannot go wrong with either of these two guys at the top. In my mind, they're each worthy of a number one overall selection. I have no doubt they're going to crush it this spring. Um, and it is going to be, re- they're going to make it and and these other guys will too, but they're going to make it so, so hard on the decision makers um, in July. I, I can't even imagine how that's going to go. And then if we want a third guy, I'll go with Nick Kurtz from Wake Forest. Um, he's again, is a very, probably from the, the best hit power combination in the draft. You're looking at a, a strong 60 grade hit tool with 70 grade power. Um, it is. And again, this is a guy we're texting about, but it is a freaky operation in the box. Um, for someone, his size, uh, the, the plate coverage that he has combined with the feel for the barrel, um, it is, it makes for a literal impossible bat, uh, cause he's also got a, a sound approach and he, he can square the baseball up no matter where it's pitched impact is real to all fields. And for someone, his size, and you look at his swing and arm, you brought this up last night, but it is like uniquely compact and explosive for someone like that, because you see these guys that are six, five, six, 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 seven, it looks long. It looks kind of gangly. It looks out of sync. But like it is, as you said, and it was the perfect way, like you watch him swing. It's just super snappy and quick. And it's like, wow, like for someone this size to be able to do that in the box, um, it's it, it makes him kind of a unicorn. And then you look at the defense and people will be like, oh, you know, he's a first baseman, all this, all that. I don't care if he's a first baseman, because one, the the offensive profile alone is going to get him to the big leagues. And I think has him in that impact big leaguer category. And he moves really well. He's got soft feet. He's nimble. He's a shorthanded defender. Uh, moves well in either direction. And then, if needed, like he's not gonna, he's not gonna play there, and probably not gonna be viewed there professionally. But you could stick him out in left or right, and he'd be fine holding his own for a game or a series. Um, like that's how well he moves. And I think there's 35 to 40 home run upside. And I'm sorry for my long-winded rant on all these guys. <laughs> Those are the three guys I definitely was going to ask you specifically on, and I'll kick it to Jack in a second, but two things before I forget. One, we know how much the Guardians love makeup. So while I think that I would imagine they might underslot that pick, they always go after the guys that are elite in the makeup department, and you got two of those guys at the top. And then on top of that, you reminded me, Spencer Torkelson was the kind of guy that between USA, going to play on the Cape, just a baseball rat, uh, and those are things you love to see. Um, and then Kurtz, I saw the swing before I looked at his measurables. I just, I don't know why I never saw how tall he was. And when I'm watching the video of the swing, I'm like, wow, that's really good. It made me 10 times more shocked that he was six foot six. I couldn't believe it when I saw the height because he does not, to your point, swing the bat at all. Like almost any six foot six guy I've ever seen. Yeah. I was going to say he could be five eleven, six foot, six foot one. And you'd be like, damn, like that's a really good explosive swing. Like I like how he looks in the box. But then you also like he's six, six and it's like, and now I've like kind of talked myself into Kurtz and that's just how this whole like cycle is going to go. And if there was, I was debating at three or four for a guy to mention, and I was so close to doing it. Um, I'll go back to my dark horse and say that uh, Mike Sirota would be my fourth guy to throw in there. And this is like a little bit of a personal one. Um, maybe my Northeast bias. I was going to say, you love your old. Northeast guys too. I know, but oh, they yeah. always end up being good. The ones you were on end up being good. You nailed oh, it yeah, with Freelick. So yeah, yeah. spew on yeah. us, man. 
Hey, yeah. he's I, I, he is just as good, if not. I think he's better than what Sal was going into his draft year, and that says something because being from up in that neck of the wood, like Sal was Sal, and like Sal was being talked about since he was an eighth grader at Lexington High. But Sirota career year last year, he really got into the power that he has: three forty six, eighteen home runs, nineteen stolen bases. He's a plus runner and an outstanding athlete. And that skill set translates really well to center um, where I think he's a plus defender. The arm is average, but it's, it's totally suitable for the position and his athlete and speed, it, it, his athleticism and speed make him really tough to move him off the position. Um, he's got lightning quick hands. It's a really good approach and there's some impact present. There's some room to add a little bit of weight to the frame, but he's one of those guys where you're looking at it. He he's a super wiry athlete. It's almost a frame that you you kind of don't want to touch because it it's just like it helps him. It helps the overall profile and makes him what he is. Yeah. But I think if you want to add ten pounds to it, you can maximize that impact. I, I don't know if he goes one one at the end of the day, but I know that he's going to be a name that's floated around as a, a sleeper, a dark horse, whatever you want. And I said at the beginning, I think he's going twenty twenty at Northeastern this year. I I am very confident in that. And I am very lucky that he's like 15 minutes down the road because I, I, I might just be like, become like a Northeastern season ticket holder yeah. if they have that package <laughs> and just pull the trigger on it. Cause I'm going to be a regular there. I'm not sure if they have the package. I I'd be curious. Like I feel <laughs> like it's LSU, A&M and maybe, you know, Vandy that sells season ticket packages, but I'm not sure that Northeastern is doing that <laughs> uh, before I forget. And Aram kind of hit on it too. When I was out on the Cape in 18, I think there were three guys that did come back after Team USA or at least had intentions of coming back. And they were Torkelson after his freshman year. They were Zach Thompson, the left-hander from Kentucky, who's still with the Cardinals, and Bryson Stott with Wareham. And note, those are three big leaguers that'll continue to get shots. So that that does say a lot. Um, kind of a question for both you guys, because you guys are so much better at the swing minutia than I am. Like Aram has to talk to me like I'm a kindergartner when it comes to post. Like I, I can get all the pre-swing moves, but as soon as that bat leaves the back shoulder, I'm like, Aram, you take over, man. Um, <laughs> my takeaway with with Bazana from the low or from yeah, I guess like the pre-swing moves in the load, it's very Henry Davis comparing him to another one-one pick, right? Where he's just so crouched and compact and he's already in a position to fire with Weatherholt, it just seems like he's crazy balanced with that long hold on his lead leg like he'll just kind of dangle that thing for a while and then Kurtz like how many guys in major league baseball are that big with that kind of swing four there are not many and Aram I'll let you take the lead on it because I I also love hearing you talk about swings and and how a guy looks in the box but I think that you nailed it on all these guys like with Bazana, it's almost like popping a bottle of champagne kind of like you have this like really compact kind of crouch load there's again you look at there's a little bit of a bat wiggle pre-swing the barrel setup is a little unique yeah but there's a teeny barrel tip and then after that it's just boom like everything just explodes and he unleashes on the baseball and then with Weatherholt you still have that snappy barrel really quick bat speed um but it is like more balanced and I think that the common theme in all these guys is that like really quick explosive movement 
um, that allows them to to generate the type of impact that they do. I think explosiveness is the key here. That's true. Yeah, it, I I think that's that's kind of the what it boils down to for me is both Weatherholt and Bazan are able to get from from zero to a hundred so quickly, right? They're able to, I mean, their hands work so quick. The bat speed that they're able to generate it with, with minimal effort is what they leverage really well. And I think Bazana specifically, Jack, you kind of alluded to, you know, that kind of preset feel Davis had a little bit more of like the movement into it, but he started it so early that it didn't really matter. Um, and then got slotted so early that he was, he was there. Bazana, it's like, I think he likes to start his, his barrel downward because the only move he really needs is to just kind of pull it back and create that stretch and that tension, that's all he needs because he's just so quick with his hands. Weatherholt, same thing. Pete talks about it. Plus, plus bat speed, guys. For them, I think it's, hey, I don't need much extraneous movement. Let's get to my spot. But I think Weatherholt's more, hey, I want to be loose. I want to be adjustable. And for Bazana, he's able to get anywhere he wants anyway. So I think he likes that tension feel. And both of those guys have it down. Like, I, I don't I don't really care about anything specific and kind of tying back to the driveline point. Like Mookie Betts went there, right? Those guys are going there to literally optimize their their body movements in terms of just being able to tap into the most power possible. They're not changing their swings. They're not changing certain things. They're just trying to channel the right muscles and you know make sure that you know, everything's working in 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 sync. But when you look at at Bazana, like he he's got down what works for him. Like and you look at Weatherholt, that's going to work for him too. So I'm excited about those two guys because I just don't think that there's much else that needs to change other than continuing to develop in the pitch recognition department, continuing to figure out how you can leverage your power a little bit more and go from there. So you have both those guys. I'm going to, I'm going to venture to say like one of them goes in the top two, right. And you got, or both of them can go one, two it's guardians one it's reds two. And I am, we talk about rocktober we're, we're big Rockies guys here. We just have a lot of fun with them. Huge I rock. want one of those two guys to fall to the Rockies so bad because I, I know, I know Nick Kurtz would also put up, crazy numbers out there but i'm imagining a bazana in colorado because his swings a little bit flatter um i know you talked about he's worked to, to kind of create more loft and has but it's just so much more of a line drive i feel like stroke spray it all over the field uh get into a pull side and and just be a a contact machine that could play out there in colorado if if, if somebody goes ahead of I guess either of those guys in the top two, then we'll see one of those guys fall to three. And the event that Bazana and Weatherholt go one to, we get to number three with the Rockies here. What direction could you see them go? Is it is it like a you know a Nick Kurtz? Could we see them go with with somebody like Serata, who you, you mentioned kind of just really you know emerged, or do we get to the range here where um, it's kind of wide open and we could start to hear pitchers' names be involved because. Chase Burns, you know, we just saw that the Rockies jump on the opportunity to take a Chase Dolander. And we know that the Rockies, I mean, you're not going to sign free agents. No one wants to go pitch there. It's hard to develop underrated arms in environments where your stuff is, you know, not going to play the same way. So their approach has been just go get the best arm you can get. Chase Burns at this juncture would be the best arm that they can get. I don't know what direction. I don't know if they're going to go pitch or not, but just to kind of segue into the pitching side, you know, is there a chance we could see Burns this early? We talked about him one one, so I guess yes. Uh, what does he need to do to be a, an option for the Rockies at three or an option at number one? I think it's simple, and I think that it it's what he plans on doing and and what I bet on him doing, and that's putting together a full healthy season with strong performance in the weight rotation. And I think he's well on his way to doing that and kind of getting into more of the like nitty gritty, like 
it's a great looking body. It's it's pretty lean and high waisted at 6'4, 195. High three quarter slot with big time arm speed and the con card with burns. And this is what people recognize him even dating back to his high school days for is that thunderous fastball. It sits in the 96 to 100 mile an hour range. Like he'll pitch in that range. Um, and he's regularly bumped 101 and 102. It just, I mean, it's a, it, it explodes out of the hand. It's got a ton of run and ride, especially some run of the arm side uh, through the zone between its shape and velo. That's a 70 heater. And then I think what's crazy to say, because everyone is always so excited and, and happy with velocity and, and rightfully so it's very cool to see a guy throw hard and, and throwing the triple digits. But I mean, his like high eighties, low nineties power slider is, I mean, it's right there with Brody Brax. I'd probably give the edge to Brecht on the breaking ball for best pitch in the draft, but um, his, his is right there. It's got a ton of sharp two plane break. It also take on more of a sweeping look at times. And last year held opposing hitters to a one fifty one average had a miss rate of 61% and he's got advanced feel for the pitch. I'd also put a 70 on it. And then this fall, like most importantly, um, I, I think the most important part of his game, um, he's got a high 80s change up and it'll flash kind of heavy tumbling life and, and a little bit of fade. But uh, it's allegedly taken a big step forward this fall, which if you're looking at a guy with two 70s and even in a, a solid average above average change up like a slam dunk starter. And then again, he's going to be in the wig pitching lab. He has been all fall. Um, he will be all season. I think that's another fun element to, to kind of maximizing his upside. And I have no doubt they're going to do it down there in Winston-Salem. Um, they're as good as it gets with pitching development. So if the Rockies wanted to get a little kind of funky at three and, and just pull the trigger on pitching early, I think right here on Wednesday, December 6th, as we record this, um, I think that Burns is probably the guy. I love that. Um, quick follow up on Burns, and then I want to get to Breck too, because there are a couple of things that I love about each of them. And you mentioned the pitch mix for Burns in the most endearing way. And Arms heard me say this: I want my pitchers to be psychopaths, and it seems like Burns is that. And and you saw the way he came off the mound during the NCAA tournament for Tennessee. That was next level intensity. And what I appreciate most about that is you never worry about intent. And I think intent is one of the biggest buzzwords that we have in pitching now, because there are so many guys that are preaching, hey, if you want to get to 99, you have to like put every ounce of your being into throwing each pitch 99 miles an hour. Intent is the word that I hear from every pitching prospect when I talk to him. Do you have any intent concerns with Chase Burns? And then with Brecht, the thing that I, I love about him is he played wide receiver for a year at Iowa. Like that's a freak athlete. He's a very good athlete. And my, my favorite, I guess, cross-sport example of that is Calipari never saw Willie Cauley-Stein play basketball. He went to go see a 6'11 wide receiver and he offered him a basketball scholarship because he knew that it could translate. And it's translated into a seven-year NBA career. So when I hear that a pitcher played wide receiver, I'm obsessed. And when I see that psychopath energy, and, and again, in an endearing way, I'm I'm bought in on, on both those guys, I think. I, I think with Burns, you mentioned again, the, the last kind of piece of the puzzle that makes him this really exciting prospect. And that is his intent and mound presence. 
um like it is completely like blinders down and there are four letters and it's an acronym that describe who he is on the mound it's b-a-m-f the first two are badass and then everyone i think knows the last two uh that's who he is on the mound whether he's pitching in a midweek game or he's pitching in omaha against stanford uh that's that's who he is granted he'll never pitch in a midweek game but yeah uh, that just to, to to show who he is and then with brecht you mentioned it. It is an awesome, awesome story because he was a former wide receiver on the Iowa football team. Um, there, in terms of pure athletes in the draft, and it makes it even more fun that he's a pitcher. Um, he's one of the best. Like you're talking about a 6'4, 225, former division one wide receiver. Uh, you talk about athletic movers on the mound. He's got that down to a T. It is a low effort delivery. It looks like he's playing catch at 97 to 100 again like burns he's been up to 101 102 he got a stadium gun 104 read and it's got some riding life through the zone just looking at the individual pitch i think that breck's fastball is probably the best in the draft and then like right there with him it's burns from tennessee tyson neighbors from kansas state's another one and then like for as good as that fastball is like like burns um, he's also got just a hellacious high eighties power slider slurvy type of breaking ball through it. 49% of the time, actually more than his fastball last year. Um, and it was virtually unhittable 131 opponents batting average against the pitch 53% miss rate. It's got just super sharp downward and, and two plane break. It's got some depth and bigger shape at times, more of that slurvy look, but it's so sharp. Um, he's got, I think a decent feel for the pitch, even with the kind of command and control bugaboo, I I think the feel for the pitch is there. Um, and he's able to pitch with it, which is unique. And then again, kind of a little bit like Burns, he hardly threw his changeup. I think he threw it like only a handful of times, but there were a couple that I saw and and I don't know if it was by accident or not, but he's pitching against Texas tech and there's a left-handed hitter. And I think it was a a plus count for Brecht and he threw this, I think it was a 89, 91 mile an hour change up and it had a ton of fade to the, to the arm side. It just went vroom, and, and tumbled. And I was like, Holy cow. Like that's a, that's a plus change up. But I, I think it, it's just going to like, he'll need to add feel for the pitch. I think he needs to add polish to his game in general, but I will say this is a kid who's never played fall bait. Like this is his first yeah. year where he's focusing only on baseball. And I think that there's something to be said for that, that he is where he is. And he's been a two sport division one athlete this whole time. Like this is his first year where he played fall baseball. Like he can finally like just put all his chips on the table for baseball. Um, And I think it's going to go a long way. You want to talk about, I I think underrated nationally, like pitching factories, Iowa is, Iowa is that and coach Sean McGrath, the pitching coach is one of the best in the country in my mind. And I have no doubt that in working with Brecht this fall, uh, they're, they're going to get him right for the spring. They'll have that. They'll have a third pitch in in his arsenal and they're going to, they're going to have the control and command progresses as much as they can. So I think that there's a little bit of work to be done to convince teams that, he is a starter at the next level, but he very well could come out this spring and 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 get and get rid of all of that doubt. And then we're talking about a really fun debate with him also potentially going in the top ten. 
Well, when you have an athlete like that too, right, you feel a little bit more optimistic about, you know, what you can get him to, you know, learn about his body, learn about the mechanics and just continue to to hone in on that. I mean, we saw an athletic pitcher and Chase Dolander start to lose some of his delivery a little bit. And now he's working to get back with that and, and kind of get back to the command that we saw previously. Um, I have a question about comparing the draft classes real quick, but one more thing that I just remembered um, that stood out to me with Mazana is that the way, and I don't know if this is something that, you know, you put much stock into Pete, but it's one of those things that if you do it well, I think it really helps if you don't. And, you know, it, it's kind of eyewash, but the way he kind of varies his leg kicks and varies his his timing. Like if he feels sped up, I saw Bazana kind of cut down on the leg kick and go shorter. Reminds me of something that Matt Shaw kind of used to do or or still does. And, and I think helped him kind of climb quickly was in his advantage counts. He talked about the power to the pull side let it eat a little bit more. You'll see a bigger leg kick. If he feels sped up left on left or a guy's wearing him out inside, it's kind of that shorter leg kick. And that's something I love to see. And I think will translate well for Bazana. but tying back to the pitching side of things again, a lot's going to change. A lot's going to happen. I mean, I know a lot of people were excited about louder, but he obviously just vaulted his, his, his stock, uh, a bunch of other arms vault their stock every single year, especially in the prep ranks. So it, this isn't a definitive thing. But I don't know if you can kind of put your time machine, you know, put yourself in a time machine here and get yourself to December of last year, where I think we probably talked around the same time. How does this draft class stack up pitching wise? Because to me, it, there's a lot of variance. Um, you know, again, Skeens wasn't even Skeens until he was, you know, the the guy that he became you know, at the end of the season. And, and, you know, that that could always happen. But I don't know. I look from top to bottom and I feel like a lot of the, some of the intriguing arms are two-way guys, especially in high school. I don't know if there's not that like traditional Rhett Louder. There's not that safer arm that I see right now, but maybe I'm just not looking deep enough. I know that there's some arms that you, you like a lot, you know, that are projected at this moment in the back end of the first round, but how would you say the top five arms in this class maybe stack up to the top five arms in last year's class? Yeah, so off the top of my head, the top five from last year, in no order, is kind of the five best. It was Skeens, uh, Dolander, Rhett Lauder. I'll throw Noble Meyer in there from the prep level, and then Hurston Waldrop, I'd say, um, to kind of round out that group. And I think when – I think that there were more safer, like – we knew like Rhett Louder was a starter. Paul Skeens was a starter. Um, there were a lot less, I think, relief concerns um, at this time. But I think that the overall upside um, is right on par with with last year. I think it's tough to compare any of these guys to Skeens, even though he had a couple of crummy appearances. But it's such a small sample. Like I don't really care. Like it's going to be hard to compare anyone to Skeens right now, but when talking about these guys, Chase Burns, um, Brody Brecht, Hagen Smith from Arkansas, Josh Hartle from Wake Forest, a little bit more of a, a finished product, safer bet, but probably the most advanced arm in the country for my money's worth, Hartle is. Um, and then Jonathan Santucci, they all have, I think, like impact, like, Burns and Brecht, especially Burns, have has front end of the rotation like ace potential. Like we've talked about it at length now, but if you're taking one pitcher in the top 10 right now on December 6th, I think that Burns is the guy. Um, and then a lot of these other arms you can kind of slot in soon thereafter. And they all have solid three starter, per perhaps number two starter type upside. 
Um, Josh Hartle could pitch in the big leagues for 15 to 20 years. Um, but I think that when looking at the class as a whole, there are a, there's going to be a lot of betting on the upside that, that a lot of these players have, especially on the pitching side. Pete, la- yeah. Last one from me. Um, the two way guys two jump to my mind, Caglione at Florida, Jack Caglione, uh, and Braden Montgomery at Stanford. Very simple question, but who are they? Like, what do they look like as minor leaguers and as major leaguers? Do either of them have the capability of doing both at the professional level? If not, which side do they settle on and what does that profile look like? Yeah, with I'll start with Caglione because I think that he is the the household name um, for as good as Montgomery is, but he's the more famous of the two. So I'll start off with him. And it's it's kind of like it's weird to say after what he did last year, which is hit 323 with a nation leading 33 home runs, 90 RBIs on the mound. He had a respectable 4-3 ERA with 87 strikeouts and 74 innings. It's difficult to figure out like what he is professionally, because I think whoever drafts him is I think that they will obviously let him do both to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for better or worse, just kind of play his way out of one of them. And I think that it muddies the waters a little bit when looking at his draft profile, because like going under the hood a little bit, like if you split him into two players, fair or not, um, there are some, I guess, holes and, and, and stuff to clean up and I'll start at the plate. It's double plus bat speed with 70 grade borderline 80 raw power to boot. Um, the swing is tailored to get the ball up in the air and do serious damage. Like the impact is second to none. I think he popped like a 119 yeah. exit velo last year. That was his max. Like hammers the baseball to all fields, but like there are some pitch recognition and swing and miss issues. He'll expand the strike zone a little bit. Difficulty with spin. I know that Team USA, he struggled a little bit. Um, so it's like the the pure hit tool, you know, might not be where you want that to be. Um, uh, but again, we're getting nitpicky with a guy who can generate this type of impact, has this type of raw power. Um, and then you go to the mound, like you've got a super athletic moving six five left-hander with a clean arm stroke, present arm speed, and a fastball that has been up to 101 this fall. And his slider has flashed above average. He's mixed in a cutter that's been effective. Um, and then he's got a, a, a change up in his back pocket that has shown flashes last year. So it's like, if you put all of your eggs into one basket with him, like and try and maximize one facet of his game. Like, I think he can be like, he has impact potential on, on either side of the baseball. I just don't know how long he's going to do both. And I think that, just given his overall profile and, and I think he's the, like, he's the most advanced from, I think, two way player in the draft. There are a couple of their dark horses, but that's a separate conversation. I think that when all is said and done, you'll see him slotted. in I think so many slots in, in so many places this year yeah. um, in the first round with Caglione, you'll see him as high as one. You'll probably see him as low as past the 15th overall pick. Really? I think it's going to be really difficult to let, 
this just to let this overall player um, and to let someone like that fall for very long. Like I'm still going to take him in the top half of the first round. Um, I, I know that there's risk involved. Um, I just, I don't think that he's going to fall past the first 15 overall picks. I just don't think it's going to happen. And it could this spring with how he plays, like there's obviously so much variability um, in, in baseball, especially, but uh, I, I, Again, I think he's a top half of the first round guy. And then with Montgomery, similarly, like I think he's a guy who's also got top 10, top half of the first round type upside. Uh, was outstanding last spring for Stanford at 336 with 17 home runs and 61 RBIs. Went up to the Cape and hit 340 with five extra base hits and 12 RBIs in 14 games. Um, he's a two time USA guy. I think the the most positive development for Montgomery is between 22 and 23. He really shored up his approach and swing decisions. It led to a 6% decrease in overall chase rate, um, as well as a much improved walk rate. And he's got a pro body at 6'3", 215. Simple setup in the box. He's got big time bat speed and plus power from both sides. And he consistently gets the ball in the air and, and drives it with authority. And I think that improving hit tool um, is a big part of his game and he moves well in right field and the calling card maybe with Montgomery is that arm it's an 80 grade arm it's the closest thing we have in this draft to an 80 grade arm and he I, I think that long term it's more set in stone that he's going to be a hitter only gotcha. um, which isn't a knock on his stock but I mean he'll he'll throw on the mound this spring for AM, and he moves really well in the like it is a good looking delivery he moves super well. It's a clean arm stroke and electric arm speed stays behind the baseball really well. And his fastball has been up to 99 with serious carry through the zone. Um, and again, you talk about the makeup uh, he's, he's an 80 and he's a great kid. So I, I think when two way players, Caglione is the best in the draft um, and, and both have that top, 15 top 10 overall type upside Caglione, especially like you're going to see him slotted all over the place, which is going to make this whole cycle that much more interesting. But those are the two top two way guys in my mind. Gotcha. With, with Caglione, it was interesting to me that you, you saw a de- decent contact rates. We started to see him kind of get overpowered a little bit against some of the better competition as we got to the, the postseason, the regional super regional and so on and so forth. But I mean, the guy was chasing like 45% of the time and there's something around that range and still was putting up the numbers that he did. So is it pitch rec? Maybe a little bit, but could he also hone in on a little bit of a better approach? And how does that help? I'm really fascinated to find that out. Montgomery had one of the best throws I've ever seen um, in the outfield. I don't remember if it was the regional or or if it was a conference tournament, but I, I, I singed in my mind is one of the best throws I've ever seen. And beyond that, I, I do really like the bat. I like, you know, if you're going to be a switch hitter, I do like the fact that his left-handed swing is is definitely further ahead than the right-handed swing and all that good stuff. Um, I, one other thing I wanted to to kind of hit on uh, before we wrap up, because we haven't talked Vance Honeycutt, so I want to I want to ask you about him, and then I also want to ask you about Tommy White, how those two compare, because I have some concerns about Tommy White and the approach and some of the whiff and the moving parts to his swing. We, we talk about Bazana and Weatherholt and how these guys are you know, very simple, repeat their moves, uh, really control the barrel well. And then I see a Tommy White who's like, I mean, the bat speed's again, impressive, but it is like cut it loose and and just kind of let it fly. And I just don't know if that's going to play the same way at, at, at the upper levels. 
I'm going to start real quick and tell me just, I have a statement. You don't have to add much after that. And then I want to go to the college side. PJ Morlando has maybe the best prep swing in the draft. Is that crazy to say? Yeah. And this is a foreshadowing to a future draft podcast episode with, with Carlos and I, but if I were creating like my like ideal high school player, um, I'm going to take PJ Morlando's hit tool every time. I think that that's pretty set in stone at this point. That stroke um, is insane. It's it's. Yeah. I, I think I sent it to Jack months ago. I was just like, because I missed him in the derby at the Futures game or the. I was, I was obsessed. So it was it was hat like I guess halftime of the home run derby at the major league level in Seattle, and it was Morlando and another guy in Morlando's swing. Because Will Cohen and I, our video guy, were sitting in right field and we were pissed because we got half a round of Adley Rutschman and that was it. Like there were no balls yeah. coming our way. And then Orlando is just killing baseballs to right. And it was say, hilarious. It, I know he was putting balls in the upper deck. I know that. And I was like, holy, I was like, good God. Just, but yeah. No, no movement too. like his, his lower half is so still, but he stays in the backside so well. You, I mean, it's geared for lift, but he can still make tons of contact. Like That's got to be one of my favorite swings. But then also you look at the at the, the college side here, two guys that, you know, I think some people are expecting to go ahead of him. And again, I think the positional side of things kind of ties into that. But where do Honeycutt and, you know, Honeycutt and Tommy White kind of stack up with a Morlando? I know we're comparing apples to oranges here, but for me, I would I would go Morlando over White at this point. And then does Honeycutt just his positional you know value and the other aspects of that kind of put him ahead of both of those guys? It's a it's a really interesting question, and I I'm pro I might become a more of a fan of your Orlando over White take as time goes on. I'd still probably go both the college guys. That's fair. Um, but the the hit power combo with Orlando is really really hard to ignore, and I I think just starting off with Honeycutt and talking through who he is, like he's one of the most tooled up players in in the entire draft class like he exploded on the scene as a true freshman and he hit 296 with he had a 25 25 season i think the first one in carolina history to do it or the first one in a long time i something like that i should have i should have come in came in armed with that fact but 25 bombs 29 stolen bases 57 rbis um the production was a little bit down last year but he refined the swing and miss the, the, the swing decisions improved, the pitch recognition skills um, also improved, which led to a 9% decrease in overall miss rate year over year. It's a pretty, like, it's a quiet setup in the box. I think he's got an engaged lower half. There's tons of quickness in his hands. Um, he does create leverage in, in his swing. And I think that there's plus power to the pull side, um, but he'll also shoot the right field, right center field gap um, in game. And I think that the key for him is going to be finding a happy medium between having that approach, like yeah. that sound approach, while also maximizing like his production and, and being able to produce. And I think it's that, that that's, passive versus patient line that so many guys with that profile try to tell, right? And it, it's such a difficult one to to toe. And and that's the X factor with where he goes. Like he has first overall upside um he also might slip past the 15th pick and end up going in that the the 20 or so range but he's also a star defender in center field that, with that was gonna be my question glove yep. plays up the middle 
slam dunk center fielder, outstanding defender. He's got a knack for making big time plays. He's covers plenty of ground, gap to gap, comfortable going in and 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 going back on the ball. Um, and it's a premium athlete. It's a great body at two at six three one ninety, um, with a little bit of present strength. And again, he's also a plus runner. So kind of like Sirota, you've got a guy with five tool upside. Um, he's just got to have it all come together this year. And there's a, there's a chance it does. Um, but that's going to be the biggest question mark with him. And then I guess shifting focus to Tommy white, he's one of the best, I, I think he's viewed as one of the best hitters in the draft and rightfully so he had a, he, he transferred from NC state to LSU last year. And I mean, he was a huge reason as to why they were able to win um, the national championship. He had 374 with 24 doubles, 24 home runs, and 105 RBIs. And he is extremely thick and physical at six foot, 242 pounds. There's a ton of wrist and forearm strength. And I think like what sets him apart is his ability to drive the baseball to the opposite field. I think it's unlike anyone else in college baseball. And it's a pretty loose operation in the box. There's his hands are super, super lightning quick and whippy. Um, and he like, we'll get into the approach in due time, but like with two strikes, like he, he, he has some adaptability and like, he'll widen his base. He'll go super, super wide in his base. Like front foot is like at the front of the chalk. The back is almost like the open, back right? of the box in the front foot's almost like geared like open a little bit too. Right. Yeah. He's almost like got super, that front hip leaking. It's a super unique setup. He gets a little deeper in his base. Um, eliminates the stride and he just lets his hands and natural strength do all the work. And I think like most notably, I remember watching him in that approach he deployed. Um, it was a random game at LSU and he hit one off the top of the left center field wall. And I, he's got a super aggressive approach in the box, not afraid to jump on the first pitch. and He's not going to get cheated. Um, when you're talking about approach and bat to ball skills, because I think that's a fascinating argument. He's got above average like feel for the barrel and bat to ball skills. Like he had an 87% in zone contact rate, 92% against sliders. Um, there's plus power to all fields. I'd still say his hit tools plus, um, and, and I think defensively like yellow zone at third, he looked fine over there. I think that like, I think he's going to end up at first long-term um, and he plays with swag and he, and it's fun to watch. And and he's, he's a lovable guy from a fan perspective. And I, I think that again, he's a likely top 15, top 20 overall pick, but where we go with, with white and you brought it up is the approach concerns. And last year he had a 40% overall chase rate, including 44% and 45% against sliders and curveballs, respectively. Um, and that's kind of the one like tiny red flag about like his offensive profile is like the pitch recognition skills could improve. Um, but again, like with, with how much he was able to produce, like even with the chase rates, and I know I, I, I might be naive to, to discount it a little bit. He's still at 374 with 24 double, like with all that he did. Yeah. Um, but I will say the pitching is like, it's only going to get better. The stuff's only going to get that much more loud, um, as he makes the transition to professional baseball. So I think shoring up the pitch recognition skills and maybe being a little more selective, like he just loves to hit. 
Like, yeah. I think that, like, again, when you talk about the feel for the barrel and bat to ball skills, like he wants to get in the box and swing. He doesn't want to walk. He doesn't want to do anything but mash. And I think that maybe like in a little bit of a reverse honeycut fashion, like if he is able to show like he can be a little bit more selective and patient up the walk rate a little, I think that that's going to quell some of the potential concerns. But I think when looking at him broadly, like it's a guy who, even though he's going to probably be a right, right first baseman, um, can rake his way to the big leagues. But I, the chase rate is something to watch because um, if it's similar this year, I'm just curious to see how the the dialogue surrounding him uh, plays out. Yeah, and I think that was kind of you know, to wrap up here. It's just that was the the one thing that I probably took too, too, too concentrated of a sample from the end of the season, seeing that free swinging start to get exposed a little bit with the location. But to your point, to have – to be that aggressive, to have some of the, I mean, a loud barrel tip and some of that movement and still be so quick to the ball and the feel for the barrel. I mean, I see an 88, 89% zone contact rate roughly, you know, from the, the duration of the season. There's a lot of things to like. Being able to launch and create power from that preset spot is insane. That's a testament to the explosiveness and the twitch. So it's going to be really fun to see how these guys can, you know, either continue to push their stock upwards or see if some of these high school guys can overtake them. But Pete, as always, dude, thank you so much for giving us more info than anybody can on on these draft guys, especially this early. Um, we're going to be continuing to cover the draft. And of course, we would love to continue to have you involved with that as we get closer and closer. As we wrap up there, though, can you tell everybody where they can find you? Because, again, you are tweeting 24-7 about all these <laughs> different draft guys. I saw really Thanksgiving good, night. Quick- yeah, oh, yeah, literally like with quick blurbs on like everything you need to know with these guys. So let the people know where to find you and where they can find your work, because I know they'll be following you after this episode. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me on. Like it is it is such a blast to chop it up with you guys and and talk through whatever it is in the game. So if you want to have me on again, I'm all for it. I know nah, here for five hours talking through these guys, but um, on Twitter is at Peter G Flaherty, a, a simple handle. And I, I'd like to do one player a day, uh, with my Thanksgiving tweet, I slipped out in between, um, like dinner and dessert. Uh, and I think it was like the halftime of the, the Cowboys commanders game. And I ripped off that tweet quick. I actually, I had the video cut up and I had what I was going to say, like in my notes app. So I just like copy and pasted it and then sent it off. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at, at Peter G Flaherty. Um, my work is over at baseballamerica.com and I, I put out stuff regularly there too, as well as a podcast. So, um, any, any reading or, or listening is, is very much appreciated on my end. And, and obviously worth your time. If you want to get primed up for this draft, we'll be doing some stuff on just baseball.com as well. Getting you ready as the way too early mock draft season is around the corner. As always, thank you for listening, Pete. Thank you again. And we look forward to talking prospects with you at the end of the week. Thanks for having me on. Save.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.